Hey, good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to New Life Christian Church today. And if you are paying attention, you probably realized I'm not in the building right now, and there's a good reason for that. It's because I, as well as a bunch of other people from the church, are in the Holy Lands right now. We are walking in the very footsteps of Jesus, and I can't wait to come home and tell you all about that trip. What we're doing today is a little bit different. Um, I didn't want to break stride with what we were doing with the story. I didn't want to bring in a guest preacher to, and try to get them to adapt to what we're doing. So what I thought we'd try is I would record this sermon before leaving on the Holy Lands and teach the very same material that I was planning to teach anyway. And I think we'll be able to adapt to this and we'll, we'll see how it goes. But we are continuing our series called The Story. We're using this resource right here, which is uh, the Story Bible. It takes the, the scriptures and it puts it in chronological order, and we are just working our way from Genesis to Revelation, and I hope that you are just really enjoying this series. I know that I am, and I am learning a great deal, and I hope you are as well. So far in this series, we've seen how God has uh, rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, and he's taking them into the promised land, but they got diverted because they disobeyed God, and, and then they wandered around the wilderness, and then God let them in, and they started fighting and, and taking over the land. And, and, and now things are just kind of moving along how God always envisioned them to go. Under the leadership of Joshua, they are taking possession of the land, and things are going well. And if you look on your story Bibles on page 103, it says this, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and, all, and who had all seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. This is the generation of Israelites who are remembered for fully obeying and serving the Lord. They got it right, and we get to this part of the story, and we're like, finally, the Israelites are falling in line with everything that God wanted them to do and become. But this happens on page 103. Let's keep reading. This is the equivalent of Judges chapter 2, verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, uh, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal, and the Asterus. And we wonder, how could this happen? I mean, they were going so good, and then, and then a short time later, everything is starting to go so poorly. What could have gone wrong to make the Israelites do a complete 180-degree turn? Here's what went wrong. After Joshua died, the Israelites stopped driving out the people, the pagans from the promised land. That would be the Canaanites and the Amorites and all the people that God said, I want you to move out of this promised land, have nothing to do with them. Remember, that's what God's command was. Rid the promised land of these evil nations. These, these uh, evil nations, or sometimes the Bible calls them pagans. They were idol worshipers. A lot of these people even incorporated prostitution in their worship. If you can imagine, they sacrificed children to their foreign gods, and, and God's like, have nothing to do with them. Drive them out completely. But after Joshua died, and this new generation of Israelites grew up, they stopped doing that. 
They decided that it'd be better to coexist and cohabitate with these other people in the promised land, and that was never God's intention at all. And so God confronts this behavior. We read about that in the book of Judges chapter 2, verse 2. This is what God said. He said, you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars, yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? It's like God is like calling them to attention, and he wants to know, why have you done this? Why have you not obeyed? Why have you not done things like Joshua told you to do? Why are you doing this? Don't you remember what I've done for you? And in the very next verse, God says, they, speaking of these, of these pagans, they refuse to drive out, they will become traps for you. And their gods will become snares to you. Now, this warning that God gave to them on that day, it did shake them up just a little bit. We read about that in Scripture. It got their attention, but unfortunately, it didn't have the long-lasting effects that God was hoping that it would. If you look again at the bottom of page 103 in your storybooks, it says this, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. And this right here is the beginning of a time in the Bible known as the time of the judges. The book of, the ju book of Judges in the Bible, it covers a span of roughly 330 years of Israel's history. The, the time of the Judges can probably easily be described like this. God severely punishes the Israelites because of their rebellion and refusal to do what God wants. And then other nations come in and conquer them. And then they scatter. They go flee. They run to the mountains. They hide in caves. And then they cry out to God, please come save us. And then God will rise up, somebody referred to as a judge. And this judge will come in and he will lead the Israelites to resist these evil nations. He will rise them up and turn the people back to God and God would restore them to their position. Now this happens over and over and over again. Now, let me say something about judges. When we think of judges today, we think of men and women who are wearing black robes and they're hearing court cases. I, I think of like Judge Judy when I hear the word judge. That is not at all what the judges in the Old Testament were like. The, the judges in the Old Testament, they didn't wear robes. They, they didn't uh, uh, hear court cases. No, no, no. They wore helmets and they carried swords. And the people would cry out to God, and he would send a judge, and he would deliver them. And as long as the judge was in charge, the Israelites would repent, and they would follow the Lord, and they'd get back on track. But when that judge died, it seemed like all the Israelites would turn their backs on God again. And then another oppressor would come in, and they'd cry out to God. God would send a judge. He would deliver them. The judge would lead. But then when the judge died, Israel fell apart again, and they'd fall back into these old rebellious habits. And this cycle happens over and over and over again during the course of those 330 years. In fact, let me put this in perspective for you. 
Of that 330 years during the time of the judges, the Israelites spent 111 of those years in oppression. Now, it's during this time of the judges, we come across some pretty famous people in the Bible. And I would imagine a good number of you have heard of these people. And if you've read your chapter, you certainly have. We hear about a guy named Gideon. We hear about this amazing woman named Deborah. We hear about Samson. We hear about Samuel. We read about all of them. These judges were deliverers. They were leaders of God's people. All in all, there's about 15 judges that are written about in the book of Judges. And we can't obviously cover all of them in one sermon. I would love to just talk about each one and their heroics and and what they did for God and how he raised them up to deliver the people, but we can't do that today. But what I would like to do is I would like to focus in on one of the judges. And I'm pretty certain that all of you have heard of this judge. His name was Samson. Samson. If I could show you a picture of what I think Samson would be like today, or if I close my eyes and I think about what was Samson like, there's, there's really one image that comes to my mind, and, and it would be this, Rambo. That's right, Rambo. From the movies, Rambo, one, two, and three, all combined, that is Samson. And I think Samson was even a better dude than that. Samson was this one mean, lean, fighting machine. Samson could make a weapon out of just about anything. Um, On one particular day in the Bible, we read how, how Samson found a jawbone. That's right, a jawbone of a donkey. And he used that jawbone as a weapon to strike down a thousand soldiers. Samson didn't care what the odds were. He would challenge an entire army just by himself. Samson's strength was immeasurable. With his bare hands, we read about how he tore to pieces a lion. His hands could not be bound. There were not any ropes or shackles or nothing that could keep him in chains. Not even the newest or strongest ropes. Samson many times would break these ropes like it was nothing. There was one time Samson tore the city gates off of a town in Gaza and he carried them. That's right. He carried these gates all by himself to a far off place. Samson was so strong that one time he pushed over a building that had over 3,000 Philistines in it. And when the building collapsed, it killed them all. But you know, the Bible's full of ironies. Samson, no doubt, was the strongest man in the Bible. Yet in many ways, he was also one of the weakest men in the entire Bible. Samson was physically strong, yet he was weak when it came to temptation. One thing that Samson struggled with his entire life was a weakness when it came to women. 1,000 men at one time couldn't defeat him, but in the arms of a single woman, he was powerless and weak. Samson was physically strong, but he was really weak when it came to obeying his parents. Samson was physically strong, yet he was really weak when it came to things like humility. Samson didn't want to listen to anybody, and he liked to gloat a lot. He was quite arrogant. 
Samson was physically strong, but he was mentally weak when it came to following through and becoming what God desired for his life. If there's a phrase that I could, I could overlay on Samson's life, it would be this. Samson, a strong man on the outside, but a weak man on the inside. And you might be having this thought right now because I've had this thought many times as I've thought about Samson's life. Is that if Samson was all of those things, if he had so many weaknesses in his life, if he stumbled and fell so many times, why would God choose him to be a great deliverer of the Israelites? Why him? And then I come back to this thought. This is another example that we've already seen many times before in the story, but it's just another example of how God will use the least likely of people to fulfill his purposes. Samson's life reminds me that I can mess up a lot and God still loves me. I can mess up a whole lot and God can still use me for his purposes. So how did, how did Samson come about? How does his story begin? Why don't you turn over to page 112 in your story Bibles. This is Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And let's just kind of read about his life a little bit. Let's just kind of walk through some of the things. There are some real lessons for us to learn from his life. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man named Zorah, um, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. What an incredible announcement that this angel makes to this mother who's never been able to have children. And this angel lays on her some pretty strict guidelines. Do you remember what the, the guidelines were? She could never take a drink of anything fermented, so no wine or alcohol or anything. And that also overlaid on her son. His whole life, he used to never have anything with alcohol in it. She was not to eat anything unclean. That was the second thing. Now, now this was all outlined in the book of Leviticus. She should know what God had in store for, for cleanliness and what they could and couldn't eat. But he's reminded her, you are not to eat anything unclean and neither should your son. And then the third thing the angel said was that he could never cut his hair. That's right. Samson has to let his hair grow and never, ever should there be any hair cut off of his head because he would be a Nazarite. Now, the word Nazarite comes from the Hebrew um, word that means to separate or to consecrate. Nazarites were persons who, for a stated period of time, they consecrated themselves to the Lord in a very special way. And so a Nazarite, they would abstain from alcohol, just like the angel said. They avoided touching dead bodies or anything that would make them unclean. And as a mark of their consecration, they allowed their hair to grow long. Now, if you're interested in learning more about this Nazarite um, status, you can read Numbers chapter 16. It, it tells you all about what, what this is. 
So Samson was a Nazarite and he could never cut his hair. And that is one of the most important details in the entire life story of Samson. You cannot miss that part. So Samson, he grows up, he wants to get married, and this is what happens next. Look on page 112 of your storybooks. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now stop right there. Do you see anything wrong with what Samson is doing? Besides the fact that he's trying to boss his parents around. Do you see anything else? What's wrong with this picture? Who is Samson? Samson is an Israelite. On top of that, he's a Nazarite, which means he's set apart by God. And God had very strict rules about who Israelites could marry and who they couldn't marry. The bottom line is God did not want the Israelites, this, this chosen nation, to be an example to the whole world, to be intermarrying with people who worshiped other gods. And who is this woman that he wanted to marry. She was a woman, a Philistine, who cared nothing about God. She worshiped other gods, and that's the woman that he wanted to marry. Now, this is during a time when fathers and mothers, they arranged all the marriages of their children. So it's not like Samson could just go over there and turn on the romance and, and, and propose to her or anything like that. So he says to his parents, you need to go get her for me. And he's very demanding and very forward with this. Look at page 113. Here's what happens next. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our own people? I mean, his parents are pleading with him. Come on, Samson, not her. Anybody but her. Somebody from around here, please. Must you go marry an uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. And, and right here, we see as a young man, Samson is showing this rebellious spirit. He, we're seeing that, that he's making some decisions that are going to have some drastic consequences throughout his life. But in doing so, God also gives us a little snapshot of his upper story. So here you have Samson, consecrated by God. He's going to be a deliverer one day, announced by an angel and here he is, such a rebellious person. But God is going to use this as part of his upper story. God is going to use this to do something for the Israelites as a whole. Nobody knows it yet. But God is going to use this very um, desire to marry a Philistine woman to bring the people of Israel back to him. So if you keep looking on page 113, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Oh, God's got an upper story. Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever doubt it. And God can take things that are completely messed up and completely broken and completely outside of his desire. And because God is who he is, he can shape those things to fulfill his will. So Samson, one day he decides to go spend some time with this woman that he really likes. And here's what happens on page 113. Let's keep reading. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands 
as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. And that is pretty impressive. If you've ever been to a zoo, and I know many of us have, I've been to many of zoos, and I can, I've gotten up close with lions before at the zoo, and they are powerful creatures. There is no way that I, or I would venture to say anybody in this room, has the strength to tear a lion apart with his own hands. But Samson did. And God gave him the strength to do it. And then it says that Samson's parents didn't even know what, have, what had happened. We can assume that as they're traveling to meet this woman that Samson is head over heels about, they got separated. Maybe Samson took a little detour. And that's when the lion incident happens. Now, that brings up an interesting thought. Maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe it just kind of blew past you when you read this chapter. But where did this lion attack happen? It was in the vineyards of Timnah. What do they produce from vineyards? That's right, wine. What is something that Samson's not to have anything to do with in his life because of his Nazarite vow? Alcohol or any fermented drink. Why was Samson in the vineyard alone? Why did he not tell his parents what he had done? Personally, now this is my opinion, the Bible doesn't say, but personally, I believe that Samson knew deep down in his gut he was someplace he wasn't supposed to be. So Samson, think about it, he's on his way to see a girl he really has no business being around, and on his way he visits a place he really has no pl business visiting, which is this vineyard. And I see in that a pattern of behavior that will plague Samson for the rest of his life going to be a part of things God said don't do it, and going places God said don't go. This is also a pattern that many Christians can fall into if they're not careful. Even though we're trying to live for God, we can be tempted to go places we shouldn't go and go along paths we know we shouldn't be going along. That's what Samson is doing. Now, you would think, at least I would think, that this lion attack was maybe just kind of a warning from God. Hey, Samson, you're not supposed to be over here. I'm going to give you the strength to handle the situation, but get back where you're supposed to belong. But that's not the reaction that Samson had. No, no, no. A little bit later, he goes back to see this woman again, and his curiosity gets the best of him. And so he goes by that vineyard again so that he could get a glimpse at the dead lion carcass says on page 113 that sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and he ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate it too, but he did not tell them where, that he had taken the honey from a lion's carcass. Now to me, that sounds absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting, but evidently that was something that, that, that he wanted, but he didn't tell his parents about it. And we know why he didn't tell his parents about it, because as a Nazarite, he was not supposed to have anything to do with a dead carcass. It would make him unclean, but he had no problem touching that lion, eating the honey that the bees had, had made inside that carcass. In so many ways, Samson is just flirting with disobedience. Have you ever done that? Have you ever flirted with disobedience to God? We look at what his life is supposed to be. No fermented drink, but where did this line attack happen? In a vineyard. Nothing to do with unclean things. And he's already broken that one by messing with that lion. 
and eating the honey. The third thing is don't cut his hair. Okay, so right now at this point in, in Samson's life, two out of the three restrictions, um, he's completely disregarded. How long do you think it's going to take for him to break his third one? Samson goes down to marry this woman, and it's, and it's a feast of all feasts. It goes on for days. And Samson, if you've read the chapter, no, thinks he gets a little cute. And he's like, you know what? I'm smarter than everybody else here. Why don't we play a little game? Now, we're not going to go read all of this, but here was this game. Samson tells all of his fiancé's friends and family, everyone that had come, they're all Philistines. They all really don't like Samson because he's an Israelite. And he says, I'll give you a riddle. And if you can figure out this riddle... I'll go out and get you 30 garments of clothes. But if you can't figure out the riddle, you've got to give me 30 garments of clothes. Now, this is no little bet. It's not like going down to Old Navy and buying a couple, you know, $35 t-shirts or anything like that. These are full garments of clothes. It was, it was a lot of money that it was going to take to provide the winnings of this bet. Well, they took him up on the bet. They weren't going to back down to it. They could not figure out this riddle. And so they went to Samson's fiance and they threatened her. And so she went back to Samson and she cried and weeped and she finally wore him down until he told her the answer of the riddle, which she immediately went back and told all of her family and friends about the answer. And so when it came time to pay up, they knew the answer. And here's what happens next on page 114. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. That's Samson. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men. Now this is all enemies of Israel here. He stripped them of everything and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. Something that's important to understand here is that God gave Samson the strength to strike down those 30 men. Now, it was Samson's disobedience, it was his arrogance that got him into that situation, but God's plan is to use it as a process of bringing Samson to leadership, as a judge to deliver the Israelites. Well, without reading the rest of the story of Samson, this is what happens. Samson goes back to his wife. He pays off this debt, but he finds out that his father-in-law-to-be has married off his daughter that was supposed to go to Samson. He's married her off to his best man instead. And Samson was totally angry about this, understandably so. And on the bottom of page 114, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. Samson goes out, he captures 300 foxes. Now that had to have been a feat all in of itself. He ties their tails together, he lights them on fire, and he sends them through the grain, the grain fields. Samson burns up all their crops. And the Bible says that Samson was out for revenge, and he began to attack the Philistines viciously, and he slaughtered many of them. Samson's actions here, basically started a war between the Philistines and the Israelites. And the Israelites were like, we want nothing to do with this. We didn't do this. This is all Samson's doing. And the Philistines are like, then turn them over to us and we won't attack. And so the Philistines, they, they backed off a little bit and the Israelites went to Samson. They found out where he was. They said, listen, this is all you're doing and we're turning you over to them. And Samson's like, okay, that's fine. As long as you turn me over to them, you don't kill me yourself. And they're like, fine. So on the day that they're going to trade Samson over to the Philistines, they tie him up. And the, sto the story goes that uh, as they were giving them over, Samson breaks the ropes 
and he defeats this entire army. Here's what it says on page 14, 114. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Can you imagine the scene of that battle? A thousand soldiers dying at the hands of Samson, who was armed with nothing more than the jawbone of a donkey. If they were ever going to make a movie today about this incident, and they said it was based on a real-life story, no one would believe it. They would say it's too unrealistic, but it happened. Now, after that, Samson did pretty much anything he wanted to do. He uh, was made ruler over Israel, and he led them for the next 20 years. Now, you would think that finally, by this point in Samson's life, he would be like, hey, look, I've been through the mess. I've, I've gone through my rebellious stage. Now it's time to serve the Lord. I've seen how he's delivered me, even though I was rebellious towards him, and I'm going to do things the way God wants me to do them now. Now, you would think that would be his response, but far from it. Samson continues, even as the leader of the Israelites, he continues his rebellious, arrogant behavior, going to places he shouldn't go, touching things that he knows he shouldn't touch, doing things that no good Israelite should do. There was a woman named Delilah. Most likely she was a prostitute. She turned out to be Samson's undoing. He was in love with her, but she was not in love with him. In fact, she did the bidding of the enemy. She begged Samson day after day, tell me the secret of your great strength. Finally, after she wore Samson down, he told her that if he ever were to cut his hair, he would become as weak and vulnerable as any other man. Well, in the middle of the night, you know what she did. She cut all of his hair off while he slept. His strength left him, and he became weak. It says on page 118, Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to a grinding the grain in prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Here you have the mighty Samson, the leader of Israel, conqueror of, of thousands, unstoppable by an entire army, now weak and broken because of his disobedience. The life story of Samson is awfully tragic. His hair began to grow, and at the end of his life, they, the Philistines brought the great Samson out to be the entertainment at a big party with thousands of people. And Samson prayed to God. Perhaps it was his most faithful moment of his entire life. And he cried out to God to give him strength one more time. And they set Samson between the pillars that held up the, the building. And Samson, with all of his strength, pushed the pillars over. And the building came down, and it killed over 3,000 Philistines. And the Bible tells us that in that moment, that he killed more Philistines in a single moment than he had during his life. Pretty amazing life story, isn't it? Pretty tragic life story at the same time. Oh, there are so many lessons that we can learn from Samson. There's so many things that we could say, don't ever do it like that. And there's a few things that we could point to and say, you know, that's how we should be. I'd like to focus on a couple of things 
that I believe translates into our lives today as, as Christians. Things that we can take away as negatives from Samson's life and turn them into positives for ours. I've got three things for you. And the first one is this. First observation. Samson ignored the wisdom of godly people. All throughout his life, he ignored the wisdom of godly people. His parents were wise people, speaking some truth to him, saying, don't marry that woman, that's not what God wants. Samson never surrounded himself with godly people who could give him sound advice. In fact, if you read his entire life story from the book of Judges, you're going to see that Samson was quite a loner. He kind of struck out and did things on his own. He did not bring good people around him. And if there's anything that we could take away from this, if I could encourage you today, surround yourself with godly people. If you find yourself today going about life all by yourself and things are hard and things are difficult, that should be a sign to you, I believe, that it's time to bring in some godly people who can speak truth into my life. I need to stop resisting these people. These are people who are sent here by God. And could it be also that God wants to tell you something and he's going to use these godly wise people to deliver this message? It says in Proverbs chapter 12, 15, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Samson never listened to anybody. Who are you listening to? Who, who speaks truth into your life? So Samson ignored the wisdom of godly people. Secondly, Samson paid no attention to godly boundaries. We read all throughout the scriptures, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, about the boundaries of holiness and righteousness that God has set up for us. Those are there for a reason. They were there for a reason in Samson's day. They're there for a reason in our day. But Samson never would pay attention to godly boundaries. What did he do? He went and spent time with a Philistine woman. He knew that God didn't want his people intermarrying with pagans, but he spent time with her. He walked along the grapevine. He knew that God's like, no fermented drink for you, but he spent time in places where it would be right in front of him. He wasn't supposed to touch anything dead, but what did he do? He went to visit the carcass of a lion that he had killed. We read in other parts where he visited towns and he would walk where prostitutes hung out and he would indulge in that kind of lifestyle. Friends, I want to tell you something. When we choose to follow Christ, when we say, Lord, you're going to be the leader of my life, we are committing to doing life his way. So a commitment to follow Christ is the same as saying, Lord, I'm going to follow your guidelines. I'm going to follow your boundaries. And God has set up these boundaries for us for our own protection. Did you hear me? God set up boundaries for our own protection. And when we live inside of those boundaries, there we find God's blessings. And that's why it's so important, I would say, to be people of God's word. Because when we know God's word, we completely understand and believe in those boundaries that God has set up for our own protection. And it helps us to live lives that are really pleasing to God. Samson paid no attention to these godly boundaries, and it hurt his life bad. Hebrews chapter 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and it's active. We need to spend time in God's word. And that's why I love this series that we're in, the story. Finally, third thing I see in Samson's life that was really detrimental to him is he was very arrogant. He wouldn't listen to his parents. He tried to get all cutesy with this riddle because he thought he was smarter than everybody else. 
He visited people and prostitutes and territory should, should not have been going. He was just a very arrogant person. And there is one thing that we know about in all of Scripture where God flat out says, I will oppose you. God says, I will oppose the proud, but I will give grace to the humble. Friends, it's the one thing right here in Scripture. He says, I will oppose you if you're arrogant. I will oppose you if you're proud. And, and, and Samson was all of those things. And it's the very thing that we should take away and say, I will never want to be like that. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Samson's life is quite tragic. But God still used tragedy to bring about his purposes. Who are you listening to? What godly people speak into your life? Are you paying attention to God's boundaries? And are you staying humble before the Lord? If you are, then I believe you are set up for a very holy life that God would be pleased of you. Dear Heavenly Father,